Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, what new job opportunities will exist in an automated future? Okay, so let's say it's the future and technological unemployment has hit its stride and now you've discovered that all the skills that you used to have are useless, right? You have nothing to offer the economy in terms of- That can be rewarded with money, right? Uh, Computers can do any job that you would be qualified to do uh, for cheaper than, than you can do it for. Right. Uh, Tyler Cowen called this the uh, zero marginal product worker, which is right. a funny euphemism for you're useless. You're basically. useless, right. You're an obsolete uh, worker. You're, you're the horse um, after the car was invented. You can't sell your labor anymore, but maybe you can sell your attention, right? Because you still have a pair of eyes. You still have a mind. You're still a human. People still maybe care that you're watching or what you think. Famous people like to be looked at. Products like you to know that they exist. Right. So maybe you can take that attention, one of the few things you still have. Right. And maybe you can sell that. Right. It's possible to monetize attention now. I mean, we already do it. Um, t- uh, television networks, for example, monetize attention by collecting an audience and then selling their eyeballs en masse to advertisers. But right now, all of those profits go to the television station or alternately online, they go to Google and you get free services. You get right. free television in return. So you are being paid in a sense, but you're right. not, you can't pay your rent off that. You don't need to be paid money if you can get the things that you need, right? So what you might be able to do is you might be able to band together with a bunch of other people who are similarly useless in the economy, pull your attention, right? And through some kind of organizational service or platform that's helping you to uh, pull your resources, be able to actually bargain for a kind of bulk discount, right? Right. Like, let's say you wanted to make this happen. You wanted to create a world in in which this service existed. You'd have to build a platform for it to exist on. Right? Exactly. Um, so we figured we'd have to start with one of those access to one of those non-perishable goods. Let's say it's something that everybody needs, like toothpaste, right? And so we're going to be the middleman. So we're going to bargain with the toothpaste manufacturer to get the cheapest possible supply of toothpaste, right? Right. We would try to build up a huge user base so that uh, Walmart style, we could get the cheapest price on toothpaste because we're ordering so much at once. And then at the same time, we're going to find a bunch of desperate people, maybe that are unemployed, right? That don't have much spending power, but maybe en masse are worth something. Yeah, right? and they do have time on their hands that they can spend paying attention to things. And we're going to sell collectively their attention to somebody who wants to advertise their product, or maybe just somebody who wants to get their message out, right? Right. It could be political advertisement. It could be ideological. Uh, or, of course, it could be a- another product that, uh, you know, that they feel that these people can't afford and want. And so we say you sign up with our service and you you're going to have to watch this video of our sponsor. And when it's over, we're going to send you free toothpaste. Exactly. And maybe we have some technology in to make sure you don't cheat it and things like that. I mean, similar stuff is done all the time. But, and this is just, this doesn't sound like a very big idea the way we just put it, but this is a way to start it, right? Imagine you start expanding the amount of products you're providing. Right. And you're not just maybe showing people videos, you're having them play games. Well, this is where it could really um, get bigger is if we turned it into a, a platform on its own, uh, the videos or games or whatever things that people are paying attention to uh, to get the credits could even be made by other third parties. Uh, they wouldn't have to be controlled centrally by the the people providing the platform, and uh, they could be uh, highly varied. There could be a, a wide variety of things to choose to pay attention to that would un- enable you to get credits toward uh, the things that were giving away. Right. I guess you could think of it as a service that's matching people that have something you want them to pay attention to 
to people who are willing to pay attention to it purely in exchange for any free service, right? So it's, it is, again, it's a lot like the way you trade your attention for Google services, except it's, it's now a, a full platform that's sort of disintermediated in this way that it's much more flexible. Like the right. content can be coming from anybody. So it's more, it works more in a way like an eBay or Amazon, which just connects buyers to sellers, uh, than it does like Google, which connects you to their own service that you're then locked into. Um, so anyways, the reason that we're posing this thought experiment and essentially uh, pitching you a, a startup idea is that this right. is a, a concept, not that we're necessarily trying to make happen, but it's, it's one of our well, brain- If we were trying to make it happen, we probably wouldn't have pitched it to you on this podcast. Exactly. Uh, we think you should make it happen if you, if you like the if idea. If you think it works. Well, it's, it's our best, one of our best current brainstorms on how to mash up two things that we think are important in the future, right? Which is one of those things is the- resources that are still going to be scarce, even when the robots arrive, right? And, and the resource we're talking about now is attention, right? Right. And we listed uh, a bunch of these resources that we believe are going to stay scarce back in episode 10 of the podcast. So you can check that out if you uh, forgot. But we uh, have put a lot of thought into what things are either irreducibly scarce or just aren't likely to be solved by the current um, information technology boom that we're experiencing. That's one thing that we're talking about here. The other thing that we're talking about is these new platforms that we have posited a few times might arrive to replace all of the jobs that are going to be uh, obsoleted by the coming technology. And of course, there are a lot of new platforms that have arrived recently that we can use as models, right? Uh, I'm sure you've heard of TaskRabbit or Airbnb, uh, Etsy, Kickstarter. Uh, There's a lot of these peer-to-peer platforms that are out there that are connecting people and disintermediating legacy players and just kind of creating one person in the middle who, who connects uh, people who, who have things and people who want them. But the thing is that many of these platforms are not going to be robust, Correct. right, in the future. Like, They're I think, designed for this world, not for a world of full automation. And I think actually we can go kind of down the list and talk about the ones that work and don't, which I wasn't, like, for example, sure. like Threadless, right? You're uh-huh. selling t-shirt designs. To me, that's not a robust model because it's a physical product, right? I think all any sale of a physical product is really highly in danger of being displaced, uh, not just by automation on the large scale, but on like, you know, home automation, right? 3D 3D printing on the home scale. Uh, Absolutely. Same Um, with Etsy would be in that category. Well, Etsy, I think, monetizes authenticity, which is one reason why I think it's a little more robust. Sure. Uh, Most of the things that you can buy on Etsy, you could already get a cheaper mass-produced version. The reason people buy them on Etsy is because they are very unique in some way or they uh, come from a particular person. And I think uh, on that level, that'll probably continue to have some value. Although, again, with with home automation, 3D printing, uh, you're going to be able to download authentic designs and print them out at home, and that may compete with Etsy in a, in a way that uh, that kills it. Another side problem is that they only help artists, right? So... Whereas everybody has attention, right? That they can pay to something. Sure. That's a uh, democratized resource that everybody has. Not everybody has the ability to create a cool t-shirt design. Yeah. And so that that's not going to ever really replace, I think, the vast number of manufacturing jobs, which, you know, they're not very creative work. So you have to assume that the people who are choosing to do the, that work in s- some numbers, I mean, maybe not all of them, would not choose creative work uh, given a choice. Um, like an Airbnb, right? That actually is monetizing a scarce resource, which is land. Right. And it's really interesting because it's, it's monetizing a Slack resource, which is unused space. In right. Land, right. It's like your room that you're not sleeping in or your house that you're not in that week, which is, I think, something that's pretty robust, right? 
The, it's robust, except again, it doesn't really help the majority because you have to own the it, land to it's, do it. Right. It's it's something that by definition helps richer people because uh, you have to have the land. Actually, you don't have to own it because you can be a renter. That's true. Uh, it depends on the city you're in and the particular regulations, but they do allow that on Airbnb. And I know uh, particularly I've used it in San Francisco where the people that, uh, you know, the apartments that I stayed in were definitely renters and they were using it to subsidize a very high rent there, which again, I think that does scale because I think uh, in the short term, you know, re- rents probably go up before they go down. And of course, it can only help people who are rich enough to afford the rent or the mortgage payments in the first place. So that's definitely cutting off a lot of people. But uh, some of those people, I think, are going to be the people who are, who are going to be suffering from this technological unemployment and, and uh, might still, for example, own some land that they bought in better times. Yeah, so that one is, I think, yes, robust, but does it, it doesn't maybe help as many people. It's as a bit a, rich focused. As a, as a potential, <laughs> right, yeah. Right? Uh, elite skewing. I don't know what the, uh, <laughs> the term is for this. Right, well, <laughs> a good, <laughs> yes, a good attention platform would be uh, less elite focused. Right, right. Well, I, I think that's true. I mean, we really are concerned with how are we going to help the majority because there's a lot of people out there uh, who used to be taxi drivers or something who are going to need a d- new job. And yeah, there's going to be a great, you know, self-driving car app economy, but I'm not sure those people are going to be best suited for making money in that economy. So uh, let's talk about another one. Let's talk about Kickstarter, right? Yeah, well, Kickstarter actually, and this is is monetizing one of the things that we did talk about being scarce, and it's doing a good job of it, and it's not, you know, something that everybody can do right now, but I think that... But it's not just artists either. I mean, Kickstarter has got a lot of... um, engineering projects and other things. True. And I think somebody could riff off of the basic underlying idea, which I would describe as this. I would say Kickstarter is monetizing the scarce resource that everybody has, which is their their future potential. Correct. Right. Yeah. So somebody on Kickstarter makes money by selling their future potential to make something great. And they give a sales pitch and then people fund that. Right. Right. That's going to be not automated away because no one has seen what they're going to make in the future. So you can't automate it you can't imitate it right until we get to the point where the computers can like fully predict your identity and 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 invent your inventions for you which was a long long way off i think kickstarter is going to be very robust and things like kickstarter various crowdfunding platforms that that rely on this sort of ransoming of your own abilities are going to continue to be very robust and will probably grow as a share of the economy now if you take the basic sort of Kickstarter platform idea, as I described it, where it's monetizing potential, and you do it in an even more distributed fashion. You kind of dispense with, I mean, Kickstarter has this goal of sort of being a system of patronage, right, for artists. And obviously, you were saying it doesn't only help artists, but like, if you kind of just strip artists all- Artists and inventors, I'd say, sure. basically. If, if you yeah. strip all of that baggage away, right. and you just say, what if you had a system that spread out bets across tons of people, right, without requiring them to make necessarily an excessive sales pitch, Right. Um, they'd have to, you know, fill out a form. They'd have to demonstrate that they were going to do something useful with their time. And maybe you're just speculating that at least one of those people out of a thousand has a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I saw this. On, I, I didn't know what you're talking about before, but now I understand what you're talking about. Uh, they, they totally do this um, in the third world. This is called microlending. Sure. That's what this is called. And it's a, incredibly successful when they do it. Um, of course, the place that it's been done, you know, most commonly is in the poorest parts of the world where uh, where credit goes the furthest. And what they tend to do is they'll like give some money to some women in a village somewhere to set up a simple business uh, sewing clothes or something like that. And uh, this, you know, 
it has great returns. They um, they don't tend to uh, have a lot of oversight of the loans, but they actually have really high payback rates, and they work really well. It's I think you could definitely expand the concept of microcredit uh, vastly beyond its current well, borders. But here's what gives me extra hope for it even beyond that, uh-huh. right? Is they also do it in one of the richest parts of the world, which is at Google headquarters with that whole 10%. Is it 10%? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, which they don't do anymore, the 20% times. Wow, the, the, they, did they get rid of that? Yeah. yeah They've but, really clamped down over there. But um, Same idea, though. But yeah, that is kind of the same idea, like um, granting the workers autonomy in that way. Sort of gambling um, that one of them will come up with an idea. With a Gmail, which, of course, they did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that worked. <laughs> yeah. So you, you give a bunch of smart people free time, and you own the fruits of their labor. You figure, like, at least one of them, even if the rest of them are just wasting your time on comp- or company resources, if one of them comes up with that br- brilliant idea, right. it pays off. Well, and of course, this makes a lot more sense if the waste is small. So what we're talking about is making a very many small bets. Which just seems to be a good strategy in the internet era when, when uh, small bets can pay off so high and when everything seems to be higher competition just because of more people, more access, more people trying and competing in, in, in every arena. Well, you and I have talked about this before uh, in the context of the film industry, right? Right, right. This is a conversation we've had, yeah. Right. For indie film, one model that you could do now, because it's, you can fund films... And somebody please steal this idea and do this model and call us when you're doing it. Fund our film, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, it's possible now to make a, a pretty good movie off of, say, $10,000. It's not easy, but it can be done and it's been done it's by been many people. It's been done by, yeah, enough people now that it's proven. And um, what's interesting is that that's um, roughly the, the best last estimate I saw of what you can make on all the world's VOD platforms in a year if you have a pretty successful film is about 10 k so you could break even on basically every movie if you're making them at that budget level. Uh, but instead, we see the indie film industry still continuing to make movies, you know, between one and fifty million dollars, often up north of twenty million, and they consistently lose money. Um, well, and if you do the quick math, I mean, uh, like twenty million divided by ten thousand, right? <laughs> like instead of that one twenty million dollar movie. Yeah, you can make two hundred movies. Uh <laughs> is that right? Is I think it? so. Check me. Um I think I moved the zeros the right amount. Um if you It's two thousand movies. Oh it's two thousand movies. It's Jesus even, Christ. It's okay, even more. well so I assumed it was less than it really was. If you made two thousand ten thousand dollar movies, or even if you made two hundred one hundred thousand dollar movies, which maybe sounds a little bit more believable you'd almost certainly have one that was better than that $120 million movie you made uh, the other way. But you just don't see really almost anyone uh, systematically doing movies like that. You, well, you know, everyone, you know, one-offs get done that way, but that's not anyone's business model as far as I know. Well, you're just talking about them breaking, breaking even, but if you make 2,000 movies with the best artists that you can find on the internet, don't you think one of them is going to be a breakout hit and do great better business like i mean i would i would say that yeah you'd be guaranteed that one of your 200 100,000 dollar movies would do better than the two than the 20 million dollar movie you were going to make instead you know right i i would say that this the, the law of averages demands that 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 be right i uh, of course there's no data on this because no one's doing it um but i think this model has like put like we've just talked about three vastly different worlds where this roughly the same four actually if you count kickstarter we said kickstarter Micro lending, Google ten percent time, and this like way of funding indie films, and they're all essentially the same concept. They're all the same idea. They're all basically saying you got to scale down your upfront costs, and you got to spread, you got to hedge your bets, you got to just spread it out. 
spend less on each thing, do more things, take more chances, and assume that one hit will pay for a lot of failures. You're looking for the superstar among the masses, that, right. and you don't know where they are. And since in many, many fields, especially anything subjective, like any kind of art, you just don't know what's going to be a hit. There is no scientific way to figure it out uh, up front, or at least not right now. Uh, so you have to you have to take risks, and this is a way that just seems like obvious to to limit your exposure. And yet, again, uh, it's it's not really on anyone's radar in the at the moment. It seems okay. So we've talked about attention, right? And we've talked about potential. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah, let's talk about something else that pretty much everybody has, right? Computation, right? Certainly every person listening to this podcast is in possession of some computation resources, right? Uh, we, can, we can say that with confidence. You've got a PC or a phone that can do um, general purpose computing to some degree. I'm saying it's more likely that you have some kind of computer than that you're actually paying rent somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So there are some different ideas out there about how we might, again, pool these resources that people have and turn them into something that might be monetarily valuable, right? So one idea that uh, has been brought to my attention about this, uh, a fairly pretty new idea, is the uh, Distributed Autonomous Corporation, right, or DAC, and you can uh, look this up online. And it's a, an idea that's been talked about recently in the internet that basically would use the structure of a cryptocurrency and the fact that everybody has computers to that's build a kind of collectively owned, collectively operated supercomputer that's distributed among all its owners. And computers that are often unused, right? Like right. think of the hours you're sleeping. It's very similar to like that uh, SETI at home project or other programs that allow you to donate your unused computer cycles to uh, a worthy cause. Um, oh, and it's also actually a lot like a botnet, which steals your computer and uses its cycles to send emails. Yeah, let's have botnets for right? good. <laughs> but this is a botnet that's voluntary and transparent and for good. So you know it's on your computer, which is the biggest thing, and you're doing it on purpose. The the best um, you know, explanation of what it does that I've seen sh says that uh, essentially what you would do with this is that you would uh, have people mining a kind of cryptocurrency, or I'm calling it crypto script because it's kind of like uh, company money. But the process of mining, instead of being maintenance of the chain itself like it is with Bitcoin, would be some useful process that has been requested by a client uh, to the autonomous corporation. Right. So, so a client comes in and says, I have a really computationally intensive task that I need done. Right. And then you basically, as a middleman in this position, would hook them up with a bunch of consumers out there who have unused comp computer right. time. They would buy up some of the company's script, basically, from the company itself and they would then pay that script to individual people in a distributed fashion who use their cycles to find the problem's answer. And, and by doing this, uh, you could provide people with an income from resources they basically already have, and uh, as long as enough clients continue to want to buy company script from the company, the script will continue to have value, and people will be able to sell their script for you know real dollars or bitcoins or whatever is the uh, currency of the day. So that's the basic concept, and this is a way of basically creating a distributed or a series of distributed um, voluntary uh, supercomputers uh, that can uh, compete with actual supercomputers in the world for uh, the kinds of problems that can be solved by computation, which obviously is a growing number of, of problems. Now, it's, it's very much just a concept, and nobody's really tried to implement anything like this, but I think there's a lot of potential in 
these kind of uh, organizations. It seems promising, and it's it's operating on the same basic idea that all these are operating on, which is that like one individual's attention maybe not worth that much. One individual's potential maybe really risky as a bet. One individual's computation you know not can't do that much with it. But when you pull those things right properly and sell them as a group, maybe actually you can get people enough right to pay well, their bills. Well, the network effects really make a big difference when you pull them together. They become much greater than what they are on their own. So I would call these the, the three best, most fleshed out ideas that we have to share, although there's some riffing we could do on some of the other uh, resources you might be able to monetize. Um, yeah, these get a little bit shakier, but we had some fun talking about them, so we'll share them with you. Oh yeah, so one of your resources as a human is that you are in fact a it's human. It's embodiment, right? It's like you have a physical body. You have a physical body. And it can be in a space. And that has some value in this world. Well, maybe a client wants a, for lack of a better term, a flash mob to do something. I'm not sure why they would want it. Maybe they just want to populate their party with a bunch of people. Well, maybe they want to uh, fake the uh, appearance of political support or political opposition. (laughs) Sure. I mean, my mind goes to really dark places with this one, but I can definitely see a reason why a corporation or a dictator might want to manifest a whole bunch of bodies in a location. Maybe they just want to play a funny practical joke on one of their other rich friends in the top 15%. That's absolutely true. They could, you know, maybe they just want to have, you know, people sing on the subway and generate a lot of YouTube uh, views or something. Who knows what people might want it for. You could sign up and say, I'm willing to do flash mobs and I'm in this location. Right. Within this radius for this price, blah, blah, blah. And uh, you could be, you know, a body in a location for money. Now, I mean, the only problem is I think that, unfortunately, people already do this for free, so... Yeah, well, and that's... I think it has a lot to do with why are you flash mobbing, right? I mean, you know, if it's for marketing purposes, if, like, uh, a company wants a flash mob to appear as so to call attention to some product they have or some service they're offering then you might require payment. They but, might not get as many takers um, for that one. Doesn't sound it, as fun. Yeah, but if, you, um, you know, if you're just doing a flash mob to uh, generate views or something, people do that on their own for free. So I'm not sh- totally sure who exactly is going to pay for this. I mean, part of it is we have to think about you know, how much of a consumer economy is left in this world and, and are there enough companies left that are trying to sell products to even want things like this. Uh, but it, it is an interesting idea that you have a body and it can only be in one space at once and that is an irreducible scarcity. Uh, so there might be a way to platformize and monetize that. Um, I had another weird idea that just occurred to me, okay. which is that one of our scarce things that was on our list in, in episode 10 mm-hmm. was, uh, and I, this really isn't the best term for it, but it's goodwill, right? Because I was, I was trying to describe mm-hmm. the fact that people will pay for things just to support the artist, just right, to feel right. good. Like paying for the Louis C.K. special, even though it's easy to pirate right, because or, he asked you to. Exactly. Or, right. or, and that's the same reason that honestly people give to charity. It's the same idea. You pay to feel good about yourself. They for, even have a charity called Goodwill. There you go. Yeah. So maybe Goodwill is a good name for it. But how can you monetize Goodwill? And I was thinking about, you know, efficiently matching. <laughs> I don't know. Could you, I was wondering if you could game a, well, and I, actually, I'm, and I guess in my head, I'm combining this with another scarce resource, which is status, right? Right. So you put those together mm-hmm. and you gamify them and you try to convince the top 15% that this okay. is a platform they want to be a part of. Sure, right? sure. So, um, you know, Bill Gates makes a, uh, a give your wealth away website and, and does a huge marketing campaign uh, about how it's going to, you know, you know, publicize how cool all the rich people are who are giving to it. And he tries to basically uh, convince a bunch of rich people to uh, to donate money or something. Well, sort of. I mean, like, you know what this is? is I'm thinking of the digital equivalent of like, you know, how you 
you'll go to a museum or something and there'll be like a gigantic wall of all the donors that made it sure. happen and everybody gets a plaque, you know, mm-hmm. right? That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I'm thinking of the digital version of that. You, you, it's gamified too. So you win a badge, you advance levels, like the right, more money right. you give to the better causes that do better and that get high charity ratings or something like, like, sure. You, you could turn charity into a kind of complicated game. I mean, I think that's basically what we're saying, right? Turn charity into a, a game that is viewed publicly so that everybody can see how good you are at the charity game and uh, being good at the game is essentially equal to being a good person almost by definition yeah you're not doing this to be anonymous you're doing this to to be public and boost your status right to boost your own status so i mean that's something that could potentially generate a lot of charitable uh, activity and make the world better i'm not sure that it would necessarily employ any people well, I, I guess it's coming um, at this problem from a different way. It would maybe get people indirectly through the the benefits of the charity itself. It might be a good way to use gamification, um, which is a powerful mind control technique. Uh, on which the, we need to do an episode on. On the rich, right? Uh, uh, so that they would be better citizens of the world, um, which is a good idea because obviously leaving the rich to do that on their own is a bad strategy. We've tried that in the world for the last however many thousand years and it hasn't gone that well. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a that's pretty interesting. Um, there's a lot of other things that we could potentially imagine monetizing, but honestly, I don't know how you do it. Like, I mean, one thing that's clearly scarce in the future is privacy. And we've talked about, you know, null rooms or like, uh, you know, uh, zero surveillance spaces that either use technological tricks or, or old school... Uh, tricks to try to um you know it is it's blackmail you get you, everybody gets paid to keep a secret <laughs> i don't know how you actually <laughs> create that into a distributed blackmail platform a distributed blackmail platform yeah i mean that just sounds like it might be an ethical can of worms but um <laughs> it, <laughs> i mean it's not a serious idea but right uh but yeah i mean i think there's definitely some ways to monetize any scarce privacy that's left like you know uh that one part of the world where the cell phone signal still doesn't run you know you know there's going to be a bar there or something but uh it's hard to imagine that turning into a distributed platform like maybe the way to monetize that is kind of coming in at the different the opposite way where you're actually in a way you're really monetizing spying i suppose um which is that like because when you're trying to say spy in the future and there's that place that doesn't have a lot of people there and you want to know what's happening there and Mm -hmm. you want to basically hijack their life logging feeds and like see what's happening but maybe it's an area where there's not a lot of people and maybe those people have agreed to like boycott that and turn it all off. And so then you're like, you want to find out what's going on in this dark town. That's like basically not online and not logging anything. And they're basically forcing you to pay to get access to their feed. Right, right, right. Well, people could charge potentially the government for access to their personal feeds, which might be an interesting way to, uh, but I'm thinking not just the government, but like any like indiv- any, in, any individual any that wants to know. If you want to know what's happening in our town, we don't let information out unless we get compensated. And then you right. get access, you get top tier The way access. that that gets d- yeah. d- defeated, though, pretty easily is with the tininess of sensors and autonomous yeah. vehicles like drones or something. You could just plant cameras everywhere so fast. And I mean... Send in the B-sized drones yeah. and photograph everything. Yeah, it's not really a practical idea. So it seems like, yeah, it might happen. Particularly, it might happen in a very remote place where there's also like spotty wireless coverage, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems like unlikely to happen most places. So anyways, uh, we're open to your ideas as listeners, but that's, I think, all we've got for now. That's all we've got for now, but this is a topic I'm sure we'll come back to. So yeah, please um, tell us what you think about this. Where do you see potential uh, to create new platforms and, and help 
particularly the the vast majority of people find some way of monetizing whatever it is that they have, uh, assuming that we you know uh, find ourselves moving headlong into a both capitalist and automated future as we are currently assuming. It's a real interesting question. It's a great mind expanding uh, thought experiment to do, uh, even if you just come up short. It's worth doing the doing right. The, doing the thought. Well, and obviously, we still probably would support some sort of sensible government intervention, like a basic income or something. But it's fun to try to think of something that doesn't require a government that uh, maybe is more of a market solution. If if we can, right, if especially you can think given of it. how paralyzed our own United States government is. Um, sure. I think it's necessary to think of things that can happen in the absence of government action. Although, uh, like like we said in previous podcasts, both of us uh, think a, a basic income is a worthy idea of consideration. Okay, well, that's all for today. Thanks for listening. Sorry about missing last week, if you even noticed. Uh, if, you, if you did notice because you're a regular listener, uh, then go ahead and please, uh, if you're an iTunes user at least, go ahead and rate us because we could use that. Yeah, I think we finally have a official rating now on iTunes, which is exciting. Oh, we had enough ratings. Uh, I think now we to... got enough that okay. they are they are saying we are a five star podcast. We want to keep that up, uh, but leave us a comment either on iTunes or on our website or in uh, G plus or send us an email directly. Or send us an email. Yeah, we we love to interact um, with you guys, and and we've had some really great conversations already, just based on people uh, calling us out on things and asking us questions about the podcast. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>